So that cash flow is only good as the credit of the tenant, you know, really the financial strength of that tenant who's behind it. So if that tenant fails, goes belly up, files chapter 11, clearly all, all the lease structure in the world does you no good because you no longer have cash flow coming in. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Neil Walgren from Mag Capital Partners. Today, we're talking about sale, leaseback, industrial real estate investing with single tenants. It's pretty detailed, but really, it's it's. I see this as the bond of real estate investing, only with better return potential than bonds today. And you're going to learn why that is. And, and we're going to lead you into why I have that particular conclusion. Neil's going to tell you about how this whole business works, how he and his investors make a return with this strategy with a, a very consistent uh, expected future cash flows when they buy the properties that they buy. We're going to talk about, you're going to learn about why someone, why why a company would sell a property to Neil and his company, and then they would lease back that property. So they, the company owns a property, they sell the property, but they stay in it and they sign a lease on it and Neil and his company make a return. You're going to learn about why that is and why it's actually a good thing, why the companies want to do that and why Neil and his company and his investors want to buy those properties and earn a return on that transaction. Really interesting. And we get to, I think, some of those key questions that folks have that, you know, I haven't done this this real estate investing strategy, so I have a lot of those maybe uh, 101, 102 type of questions that that really kind of burn in your mind when you first hear about sale, leaseback, industrial uh, real estate investing. So really interesting. We're going to dive into all of that today. If you do enjoy the show and you want to earn passive wealth in the future, you want to learn about more passive wealth generation strategies. You want to learn about escaping Wall Street, escaping the casino and investing in Main Street. Take a second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcast app, leave us a rating and review. Five stars if you don't mind. It's much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And that helps me feel good that I see everything that you guys say. I see all those reviews. I read all of them. And I very much appreciate all the nice things that you guys have to say. That gives me fuel here to keep going. I appreciate it so much. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. By the way, I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I don't buy uh, this particular type of real estate, but I do like learning about it. And it has some very interesting and beneficial dynamics to it. And that's what you're going to learn about today. So without any further ado, here we go with Neil Walgren from Mag Capital Partners. Neil, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on, Taylor. Hey, it's great to talk with you. I attended a webinar that uh, you presented at a few weeks ago. It's great to you know get to ask my own questions here. We're going to talk about uh, industrial real estate investing, which is really interesting. I've never done. I'm not even sure if we've addressed on the show before. Uh, before, we, before we dive into it, though, could you tell our listeners about your background, your business, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my background, a little different than most real estate investor or people in the industry. Uh, I flew the C-130 Hercules, uh, which is a 
kind of a, a tactical cargo plane for the Air Force for about eight or nine years, and then uh, flew a few more years part time with the Navy. So, aviation background, really enjoyed it for a while, and you know, had its time. Finally closed out that chapter, but I still fly a little bit for fun here in, in San Francisco, where I live. Uh, I grew up in the area out here and, and live in the city now. Uh, but after really after the flying chapter, if you will, had the opportunity to move to the city and really was ready to, you know, kind of get out of that, you know, more kind of day in, day out, you know, industry where, you know, really your, your net worth and your, your value is tied to your time directly. Um, I mean, there's really no few better examples than, you know, an airline pilot where you're literally not even uh, the hours that you're at work, but only hours from wheels up to wheels down. So <laughs> that amazes so, me. That, that fact yeah. amazes me. Yep. Yeah. So all, all that taxi time, you know, all those pilots on the ground are not enjoying themselves. So. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, yeah. So came up to the city here and had an opportunity to connect with a family friend who had built a business really focusing on investors and investor equity toward commercial real estate projects. And it was kind of an interesting business because the company was not an operator. They were strictly, you know, more or less an equity slash marketing arm. And they had a lot of like promotion and really a lot of, you know, kind of talking about the, the generalized types of, you know, value of investing passively in real estate, whether it was, you know, single family flips or, you know, multifamily industrial and a number of different, different specialties. And our model was we would actually partner with operators and developers in different regions who are very specifically niched on one particular product type that they did over and over, had a really strong track record, and we would partner on a deal-by-deal basis, bring the equity in, and let them focus on, you know, more or less the the deal side of it. And uh, yeah, it was a good good model. Got to see a lot of different, you know, sponsors and look under the hood of, you know, the underwriting for a number of different types of real estate asset types. Probably much sooner in my career than, you know, if you had just joined one type of group or really doubled down on on a single asset type. So kind of took that and really grew that company for, I guess, about four years. Um, we raised about $100 million, $100 million in equity. I think we closed almost $300 million in total projects and deal size over that time. So it was a, a pretty successful model. And then ultimately, one of the or excuse me, one of the operators that we had raised money for, for a couple of deals, you know, years back, they were starting to grow kind of more organically in terms of their equity and had an opportunity to come over and raise and really oversee all capital markets with them. So that was Mad Capital. And I, I really liked Mad Capital Partners as a business model, um, really strictly focusing on single tenant net lease, largely industrial properties. Um, and so really you know, viewing the investment through the lens of how does a, you know, how, how is this investment simplified through this investment structure was what appealed to me. And we can talk a little bit about that in the show. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. I mean, there's so much to, to unpack here and, and there was a lot of information in there and the, the idea of single tenant leaseback, I think at at first blush, and I know you've gotten this question before because I think somebody asked it on the webinar that I heard you on, but 
and we'll get into this question. I'd like for first for you to give us the basics of how the business works, actually. So I'll, I'll hold that question. Tell us sure. how the business works, please. So you mean the business, Matt Capital, or the business on the investment side? On the investment side, if you would. Got it, got it. Yeah, so ultimately, you know, really the opportunity in buying industrial through sale leaseback transactions you know, on, on, from the, the 30,000 foot level to use a, a pilot analogy there, you know, ultimately you're coming in, you are purchasing a building from an owner occupant, largely a manufacturing company that also owns their own real estate. So they are looking to effectively sell you the building that they own and then simultaneously sign a brand new lease, making them the tenant in that same building. So they never actually move. They're just effectively trading ownership status they're taking a payout from the equity that was tied up in that real estate and now taking a renter status. Um, so that that's sale lease back kind of in a nutshell. And then the follow-on question is the why, right? You know, a lot of people are like, hold on a second, you know, like, is this, you know, what most people think right away is, hey, they, they must be struggling for money because they need to like basically cash out, you know, what's, what's valued in, in their building there. Um, but really there's a lot of reasons for it. And typically these, these companies are actually very profitable. Almost always, you know, there are some niche operators that'll play with distressed companies. We don't do any of that. Just strictly looking for at least three to four years um, of consistent growth, consistent profitability, strong EBITDAs, low debt, debt functions. And we'll talk a little bit about the credit analysis here in a little bit, but you know, ultimately we're coming in and these companies, typically they will have recently been bought out by a private equity group. So imagine, you know, you started your own manufacturing firm, you grew it for 30 years, you know, it's retirement time, you're selling the keys and you sell it by, you know, effectively selling your company to a private equity group, which is great. And those guys, they are buying these companies because they think they can invest capital into this company and grow it really at a faster rate than it has historically. So they, they say, hey, this company's got good bones. We think we can put this in our portfolio of companies and use our private equity expertise to grow this thing exponentially faster. So the way they do that, they do an analysis and go, hey, we can earn a certain, effectively a certain return by owning this real estate, or we can earn what we feel is a, a higher return by investing capital into the business. So they, they are making an ROI comparison there and they really a calculated bet. And so that's why they are selling, selling the real estate, taking that capital and reinvesting it into the operating side of the business. Um, so that's really the underlying reason of why they would do it. That makes perfect sense. And, and, the, the the logic is is certainly uh, certainly sound. I think one of the implications there, though, and this is not, I don't see it as a good or bad thing necessarily, but they do that that math of we can continue to own this property and we're going to get such a return, or we could sell this property and and put a lease on it, thereby implying that some investor is going to come along and buy this property and they're going to earn that return, and that return is acceptable to them but it's not acceptable to us, the private equity company. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, that that's a, does seem to be the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's that piece, um, but then there's also a fairly strong tax piece. So when you are... So really, if, if you're looking to extract capital out of a building that you fully own, you can either put a mortgage on it where you still remain the renter, but now you've, you've effectively extracted value by putting debt on that property that you own, or you can sell it. So when, when you're comparing those two options, 
you know, uh, the selling option has advantages in that you can extract 100% of the value of that building. You know, if you, if you put a mortgage on typically in the commercial world, they're only going to loan about 65 to 70% of the value there. And then the second piece is from a, as a renter, 100% of your rent payments are tax deductible to a corporation. Whereas if you are an owner, you can really, you can only write off a small portion of the interest paid paid on that that mortgage that you have on your property that you own and even then they have cut off limits on it based on you know a number of different factors so from a from a balance sheet perspective that's beneficial and then the last piece which is pretty um pretty substantial when looking at the overall financial health of a company and that is if i if i put a mortgage on a building that i own on my balance sheet, I have assets and liabilities. Now that mortgage is very clearly listed in my long-term liabilities section of that balance sheet. So that that is very clearly a, you know, effectively a, a negative value on my overall balance sheet. Conversely, if I don't do that, and instead if I sell the building and exchange that for a long-term lease obligation, that lease does not get put in liabilities. That lease is simply a footnote on the bottom of that balance sheet, a textual note without actually impacting the numbers section of the balance sheet. So I, a bit of, you know, I don't want to say financial wizardry, but just the way the financial sector has said, this is how we're going to look at these type of assets and liabilities. On paper, it's oftentimes beneficial to a private equity group to fully sell the asset rather than put a mortgage on it. Interesting. Okay, great. So we have the perspective and the the logic behind why the um the tenant the private equity company whoever you want to look at it why they would sell that property to you the investor now let's learn about the investors the real estate investors side of it and and you know what's in it for you i mean uh, you know are you going to uh, do you expect to do better in these investments than you know plunking your money in a savings account, which is going to you know lose money to inflation, you know every every year, or you know are you going to exceed that? What are your yeah, expectations? Okay. Great questions there. So as, as an investor, you are effectively buying a very consistent, dependable set of cash flow streams, and that cash flow is going to be structured by the lease, and that lease is going to be different than a standard multifamily lease. It's going to be an absolute net lease, which is a lot of uh, listeners are familiar with triple net. So triple net says in a lease arrangement, you are transferring responsibility of certain expense items from you as a landlord to your tenant. And those, those main three triple net items are taxes, insurance, and then utilities. So we, we are only signing leases that put all those on the tenant. And then even taking it a step further, instructing the lease. So it's actually called an absolute triple net lease. And that includes those three elements plus exterior. So a new roof has to be replaced. The tenant pays for it. New landscape, the tenant pays for it. Uh, you have to redo the parking lot, the tenant pays for it. So literally 100% of the expenses on that property during the ownership period go on the tenant and not you as, as the investor landlord. So that, that, structure there completely eliminates really, I mean, 99, 100% of the operational risk of ownership on unexpected expenses that can really crater your cash flow. Interesting. Okay. So that, that does take a lot, um, a lot off your plate, right? But as, so to, to kind of counter that, right? So as, as apartment investors, I have literally hundreds of tenants, whereas, mm -hmm. a you know, a, a, a single, a single 
absolute net property, you've got uh, one tenant that you're kind of banking on. How do you think about that in terms of you know your risk and and what options do you have? Say if you get a, a difficult tenant to you know go collect your rents because if you're leveraging the property, you're you're going to have a you know a, a note that you need to make, right? So sure. you need to have them paying. Absolutely, yeah. So the way we view it is saying we we are buying an investment vehicle that's 100% occupied of, upon purchase, right? You know that tenant is in place; they are paying rent. We have full cash flow from day one, so that that's a huge benefit there. Um, typically, cash flow on a cash on cash basis to investors will be between about eight and ten percent per year, um, and typically starting a minimum of eight percent, and that starts from day one upon ownership. And talking about that downside, so that cash flow is only good as the credit of the tenant. You know, really the financial strength of that tenant who's behind it. So if that tenant fails, goes belly up, files chapter 11, clearly all, all the lease structure in the world does you no good because you no longer have cash flow coming in. So the risk on these deals is different than the risk in many multi-tenant, whether it be retail or multifamily structure. So rather than looking at demographics so hard and looking at you know, uh, you know, all, the, all the value add you might be doing in an apartment complex, instead, we do a very, very deep dive analysis into the credit of that single tenant occupying our real estate. Um, so that, that credit analysis, there's, there's really two types of tenants in the single tenant space. Um, you have really large tenants, which are called credit tenants. And credit tenants oftentimes are publicly traded. They're going to be like your Home Depots, your Walgreens. They're going to have an outside credit agency, whether it be Moody's or Standard & Poor, S&P, who actually give them a credit score. So you're probably familiar with those. They, they do the same to bonds and, and a lot of other financial vehicles, but they do it to large publicly traded companies. You know, they might be a BB minus or an AA, you know, just a, a number of different credit scores, which is great, but you end up having really a, a low level of risk and a low level of returns that go with those larger companies. So we, we play in what are called sub-investment grade. And that sub-investment grade refers to what institutional investors like to invest in. Um, so we, we play in typically privately held companies, um, usually not, not publicly traded, and they're not small. Most Our average tenant size does about 60 to $80 million in revenue per year. And then we do a deep dive with our own. We have a, a credit advisory team in-house, three people that literally just run credit on our tenants, both ones we're looking at and ones in buildings that we own on, on literally a, a daily basis. So they are looking at you know everything from financial summaries to balance sheets, debt loads, EBITDAs, EBITDA margins. And they're really doing a, a deep dive assessment to go, hey, here's the financial picture of this tenant. When we sell, that tenant's getting an influx of cash from the money that was tied up in their building. And now what is this company going to look like after the transaction's done? And what is our bet? Our bet is, you know, we're, our horizon is typically about a four to five year hold. And do we feel with a high degree of certainty that this company has the, you know, really the sales forecast, the customer diversification, ultimately to stay financially viable and continue paying rent on time the way they have, you know, typically these companies have been around 30, 40, 50 years. So really long-term customer histories. Um, but still, you know, we don't want to be the one left holding, you know, a building <laughs> if they do, you know, indeed uh, declare chapter 11. So that that is where the risk is. Um, but if you're able to look at that 
understand that risk, feel good about it. Now, suddenly you have a very, very sleep easy investment where it's got a proven tenant, it's fully occupied, it's cash flowing. And these guys are really just continuing to do what they've done for decades prior. Nice. Now with any investment, I don't care whether it's real estate or whatever you're investing in, we always need to think about our exit strategy, right? How are we going to get out, get our money back, make our return and kind of move on to the next thing? What is, what is the plan here? You know, you, you selling it to another investor, you adding value. What do you do? Yeah. So what's neat about these is they're typically much longer term leases than you would ever see, say in multifamily retail, right? You know, multifamily, you're getting maybe a 12 month lease on average retail, sometimes three, four, maybe five years in terms of lease term on, on these type of projects. Really, we, we are building a brand new lease that often has 20 year terms. So we're building a very, very long term net lease. It's great for the tenant because they, you know, they've been in place there. They have no plans of leaving. You know, they've just effectively doubled down on their decision to stay in place there. And it's good for us because we are able to really, you know, we, we decidedly um, choose to be on the front end of that lease. So we'll hold for about the first five years of a 20 year term. And now when we go to sell, there's still 15 years left on that lease. So that's a very attractive sale. There's still a lot of value left on that lease such that the next buyer, whether it be a REIT, whether it be an investment group, a 1031, a, a smaller focused institutional buyer, all of those type of investors will find a 15-year term with a, a you know performing strong credit triple net lease structure, a, a very attractive investment option. So you end up having a lot more options because we're on the front end of that lease than if you were right near the end, uh, you know, assuming say you were trying to sell this thing with two or three years left on the term. Now it's a much riskier investment for the, the person picking it up because they know they're going to have to go through that releasing event and take on the uncertainty of that. Mm, okay. Okay. So how about um, like tax advantages for the investor? Are you um, taking depreciation? Are you able to take advantage of uh, cost segregation studies? I, I don't know how much of uh you know, how much of you can break down to more to think things that accelerate at a faster rate since presumably the tenant owns a lot of those those items. So how does that usually shake out? For whatever reason, industrial results in what I call landslide depreciation. So it's fantastic. We always do a accelerated cost seg in order to, you know, front load that that depreciation there. Uh, industrial is slightly different than multifamily, such that it's on a 39-year linear uh, depreciation schedule instead of, a, I believe, 27.5 for multifamily. Um, so you, you have this very long-term depreciation schedule, which is why we accelerate it. Um, typically, year one, most of our investors see a taxable loss equal to about 70% of their investment. Um, so it's it's substantial. Yeah. And that's that's very beneficial and that's by design. And then even after that, you know, we're, we continue to pay out, you know, roughly eight to 10% a year cash on cash. Uh, but typically all or most of that gets offset by, you know, effectively residual depreciation there. Wow. That's interesting. It sounds like, uh, I mean, from, from your perspective as the, the person, you know, syndicating these deals, putting them together, who do you see as your ideal client? Who is your avatar as far as a, a passive investor goes? Yeah, I, I would say our average investor started on on single family, you know, bought one or two single family homes, 
wanting to be a passive investor, realized it was less passive than they wanted. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, that would, you know, usually drives them out of, you know, single family ownership. Um, typically, the easy segue into passive commercial is into multifamily. So most of them have done one or two multifamily LP investments. And, and that's a great point because they understand the structure. They understand, you know, really the cash on cash, the, you know, the whole term is similar. They understand that the promote, you know, profit split on the end with return of capital. And ultimately at that point, they tend to start looking for some diversification across the commercial sector. And that's where we come in. And really, you know, by no means do I think someone should remove, you know, all multifamily because those have huge upside potential. You know, industrial tends to be very much limiting your downside, um, but limiting your upside as well. And that you're typically play in a range where, you know, historically we've exited high teens um, IRRs on, on our projects after five years when you look at full cycle. So it's been strong, but, you know, sometimes a, a multifamily value add can hit the mid twenties. If you, if you have the right team and right set of circumstances there, you're probably not going to see that industrial, but that's okay. You know, it's a good balance uh, in my opinion toward, you know, building a, a portfolio across passive commercial real estate. And I mean, even myself, I have about 70% in industrial, but still about 30% that I, I put into, you know, a couple of key operators and multifamily that I like. Cool. Nice. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Neil, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Nice. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment I ever made outside of education. Uh, I would say at this point, uh, there's been a lot of investments, but really I, I'm going to go into the tactical level. We talked about this. Details are fun. Um, the best investment I ever made was actually a deal that we raised money for with Mag Capital. And I, I put some money in as an LP in there. And it was interesting Really, you know, very similar structure to what we just talked about, but the private equity group was hugely successful at growing the company the way they wanted to. And about two years into a five-year horizon that we plan to hold this, they came to us and they said, hey, uh, we're looking, we need more room. We're, we've doubled our sales revenue in two years. And we said, hey, we got a lot of space here. And we're actually able to negotiate about a 50% expansion of square footage. Uh, our company actually oversaw the the expansion of it, and literally 100% of the cost of that construction was financed by the original lender. So it ended up we didn't have to put an ounce more of additional equity. We ended up with this huge value add, and we were able to negotiate a higher price per square foot. Uh, and ultimately, it was a win win. And the investors on that deal ended up seeing you know about 50% higher than what they originally were were forecasted on the project. So. That one uh, def definitely was my my personal best one, at least in real estate. And nice. then worst investment I've ever Slow made. Slow down. Let me ask the question. Okay. Okay. Back <laughs> Let <up>. me <laughs> getting ahead of me here, but I like your I like your attitude here. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? There we go. All right. The worst one I would say, and. It's gotten worse and worse as I continue to look at it. Oh boy. <laughs> is leasing a car. Uh, and oh, fair enough. honestly, I, I, I lease a, a vehicle and I just, as it goes down the line and as I've, you know, really seen the benefit of investing and building true equity in, you know, so many different projects and, and the real estate side and seeing equity work for you and, and, 
create additional returns. I, I look back at this decision three years ago for leasing a car <laughs> and going, oh my gosh, like how, why, you know, and you, you run through all the decisions in your mind, but between, you know, a depreciating asset, so many fees. Uh, I mean, really, you're just, you're, you're, you're making car companies rich by not even renting, but renting, it's just terrible terms. And uh, yeah, ultimately, I would never, ever recommend it. <laughs> I know it's not real estate related, but uh, recently, I've been just kicking myself for that decision. That's fair. I don't think you're ever going to, as an investor, you're probably never going to feel particularly good about any way you acquire a car. I've never leased one myself, <laughs> but I know I looked into it at one point. I just thought, I'm just going to buy the damn thing. And <laughs> go. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Ooh, so much there. You know, we're, we're going to keep this tactical and applicable, like we talked about there. But I would say, you know, my most important lesson I've learned, and especially coming from the pilot side, right? You know, my, my background in aviation, you really, you didn't have a lot of time to analyze things, right? You, you had to make a lot of, you know, really kind of a lot of split second decisions. A lot of training goes into it because, you know, let's be honest, if you're, if you're having engine troubles or, you know, there's a runway coming at you fast, like you, you need to know what to do. And I think the, the biggest kind of lesson I learned was when, when problems show up and they do to know truly, even if people are saying, I need an answer now, you know, to really have the, the, I would say maturity and foresight to look at the situation and go, Hey, does a decision need to be made at this very moment? And, you know, to be able to say, Hey, you know what, I'll communicate it, but I'm going to sit on this for 24, 48 hours, 72 hours, whatever it might take. I'm going to let some additional information kind of come in. I'm going to let myself kind of digest this. And I mean, let's be honest, we're, we're in real estate nothing needs to move that fast. Right. I mean, these are buildings, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> I, people love to say there's emergencies, but the truth of the matter is there rarely is. And I, I think taking that really deliberately taking your time on important decisions can result in a, a, a much more thought out and really responsible um, solution to that problem that will serve you much better long-term than making something quickly. Nice. I love that. Well, Neil, thank you for joining us today and teaching us about this investment strategy that's been around for a long time, right? And, and as really well demonstrated, I see this as maybe maybe this is a wrong analogy but i see this as the 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 bond of the real estate investing space only hopefully you're going to outperform any kind of uh bond performance today but you're you're buying a a future cash flow that yeah there's some some risk in the 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 company with it and we talked about that but you have a pretty good expectation of what your future cash flows are going to be and what the future is gonna gonna look like, and um, sounds like a great opportunity for for folks. If uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about your company or ask questions about this investment strategy or what have you, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, the best way is just shoot me an email. Um, so my email is neil n e i l at magcp.com. That's like Mag Capital Partners. Love, love to hear your thoughts on the show. Any questions you have, or if you are interested in investing in, in industrial or a particular company, um, let me know and we can talk it through. Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, 
please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the algorithm and all that great stuff. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.